Some companies still know how business casual is done. It's strictly business. But is it, is it ever strictly business? No, because we keep it business casual. Exactly. Wow. Someone needs to tell him to get the get the memo straight here. WTF? It's a good point. <laughs> Tyler. Although it's that's from The Godfather, so I don't know that I'm messing around. With oh that. yeah. No, he would make me an offer that I would, you know, maybe think about refusing. <laughs> but I think you'd phrase it in such a way that it would come off like. I cannot refuse said offer. Exactly. And I think he might just be straightforward and say, this is an offer that you can't refuse. Yeah. Let me make you an offer you can't refuse. And then I'd be like, okay, we're keeping it strictly business. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to business. This is Dan- Daniel Litwin. Uh, love it. All love right. It. Love it, man. Hi, friends. Hope you're enjoying your wonderful Wednesday morning. It is Wednesday, November 6th. Things aren't crazy cold here in Dallas, Texas, um, but you know I I kind of wish they were a little colder. Is that a hot take? No, yeah, it's uh, like the lows in like the the mid sixties today, and which the is in, like, is great. Like I'm sure. I'm not complaining about that in general. I think I think it feeling colder is part of the holiday season. Yeah, you know, and so like once you get past Halloween, you kind of want it to be a little chillier because. It's the holiday season. But yeah, but you want to get in the spirit of it, I suppose. Like, I can't imagine, like, just personally, I can't imagine living in a place like San Diego where you just never have it be cooler. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where it's just the same all year round? Yeah. Well, you know, I'm uh, I'm contemplating putting up my Christmas tree already. Are you which, really? Yeah. Would be the earliest I've ever decorated for Christmas, but... I feel like life moves so quickly nowadays that I need to sit and savor the Christmas spirit more. So Thanksgiving, I mean, like, I, I like you Thanksgiving, but I don't decorate sure. for you. So, yeah. sorry. No, it makes sense. makes sense. Hey, yesterday was voting day. That was a... Uh, it was. That's a big deal. And uh, the information is in... Yes. ...for the uh, the propositions. Basically, all of them voted... All of them uh, passed as yes, except for Proposition 1, which was um, something about allowing municipal judges to hold seats multiple seats at the same time right like that yeah right which is interesting that that's the one that people didn't really vibe much with uh and it makes sense i think some of the the dissenting opinion was okay well do we really want someone representing a community that doesn't live in that community or right uh understand the people in that community to then preside over and make rulings for that community also who does better when they have more things to focus on (laughs) Not me. I want my judges to be clear-minded here. Yeah, 100%. Um, Maybe that's an ignorant take, but that's just how I feel. Some very Texas, uh, like, some very Texas-level votes went through as well. Um, Like, when you think of how might Texans vote for this, Mm -hmm. uh, it was all very expected. For example, uh, they voted to make it easier. No. Opposite. They voted to make it harder to maybe in the future pass a state income tax. Now it has to be a two-thirds majority of the state uh, Senate and and Congress instead of a simple majority. Uh, So that, I mean, I feel like is pretty expected for how Texans would vote, considering 
our lack of state income tax is a big draw for people. Big draw for business. Big draw for business. That's for sure. Um, but the puppers are going to be saved. That's the one that I cared the most about. It, and it, I realized that that's a small view of the world, but I cared more about whether or not uh, retired police dogs uh, could get uh, easily transferred over to, you know, a capable owner. Yes. Which, it blew my mind that that wasn't already the case. Well, uh, especially when you've got the alternative, which is... They uh, either auctioned off retired police dogs or just put them down. Which quote, I, destroy I assets. cannot yeah. believe that that was the case in the state of Texas, and I'm glad that... Uh, the voters uh, saw clearly on that one yeah. yesterday. Save but, the pups. Uh, for more, if you're interested in hearing uh, Daniel talk a little bit more about the intersection of policy and business, we launched a new show yesterday called Ratified. Boom. First episode is up on MarketScale.com. If you head over to the transportation industry page on MarketScale.com, you can find Daniel talking a little bit more about AB5 in California, how that affects the gig economy and what that does to rideshare companies. And so a lot of the uh, the legality behind it and why rideshare companies are so thoroughly against AB5. Yep. And uh, I'm not going to lie, some of the content that we're exploring today on Business Casual is definitely inspiring me for maybe some future ratified episodes. So if any of this stuff that comes up interests you from a policy perspective, uh, there might be some long-form conversations on the way. Ooh. I like. Yes. All right, let's dive right in. Let's dive into our first story today. Speaking of places that don't have uh, other weather, uh, we're going to (laughs) start off today in Hawaii with Hawaii Gas. Now, Hawaii Gas is um, the state's regulated natural gas utility, and they face an uncertain future in the state's renewable energy push because there's a bill currently to limit the use of natural gas in new homes. And what Hawaii Gas is saying is this could be the first step to broader bans uh, which makes them a little bit nervous. Now mm-hmm. they're seeing like their their market share kind of dwindle down a little bit. Oahu lawmakers are considering an ordinance that would eliminate gas hot water heaters from new homes or require Hawaii Gas to produce at least ninety percent of its gas from renewable sources. So all of this is kind of making a traditional utility company like Hawaii Gas a little bit nervous about their future and what their future market share might hold. So one of the big things that that comes out of this though is that uh, almost all of Waikiki's 270-plus restaurants use natural gas for cooking, right? Mm. So as you kind of start to look towards more renewable sources of energy and things like that, you have to kind of draw back a little bit and say, yeah, I'm in favor of maybe newer homes not using natural gas water heaters and, and things like that. But then you start to look at maybe the broader picture, and if something were to happen to Hawaii Gas or they were to all of a sudden not be around anymore. Where are all of these restaurants and the the hospitality industry, where are they going to go to get energy? And so you kind of start to see, I guess, maybe the broader picture and the broader question that gets asked when we start to talk about renewables is, are we nimble enough with some of this renewable energy to be able to meet the demands that natural gas is currently meeting? Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting when I look at the graphs of natural gas use in Hawaii that were linked in the initial article, um, Mm -hmm you know, that, that we used to research on this story, uh, natural gas use in Hawaii is so small that it didn't even register right. on the graph. It's such a minuscule portion of uh, energy consumption in Hawaii, and it's getting this kind of pushback. So when you're dealing with 0.2% of a state's energy use and you're dealing with drama at this scale imagine what the fight is going to be like moving forward when we start really seriously talking about 
A state like Texas. Yes, a state like Texas divesting from oil, divesting from coal. Um, I mean, there have been some recent wins. For example, uh, in Kentucky yesterday, we saw a major upset. Uh, A D candidate replaced an R candidate. And a big portion of how he won was going to uh, the coal miners in Kentucky and speaking to them about, we're going to have a just transition for your jobs as we approach a Green New Deal, as we approach green technologies. And they liked that message, and they voted for him, and now there is a Democratic governor in Kentucky. So, I think the messaging can be done right. I think these issues of getting away from fossil fuels, getting away from natural gas, getting away from fracking, all of that is doable when done correctly or or at least messaged correctly uh and and the thing is that now might be the time to start really seriously thinking about moving away from natural gas for many reasons a there are other cities that are embracing it wholeheartedly specifically on the west coast cities like berkeley became the first u.s city to ban natural gas in new construction of low-rise residential buildings recently Literally this week, Palo Alto passed um, some city legislation that's going to be doing the same. San Jose, some other California cities uh, are moving away from natural gas. Um, Not necessarily for commercial buildings yet, but for residential. And from a market perspective, uh, renewables have seen a decrease in overall costs. Plus, battery storage devices have had billions of dollars of investment over the last several years, $1.4 billion in the first half of 2019 alone, and the Rocky Mountain Institute projects $150 billion in investments through 2023. So, I understand the micro perspective, too. Okay, what are all these hotels and restaurants going to do right. if suddenly we can't use our natural gas heaters? Um, but I think the larger conversation is being had and being done and being encouraged in, in cities and municipalities much larger than, um, you know, than what Hawaii gas operates. So I don't doubt that it's doable. I just wonder how, um, Hawaii policymakers plan on doing this in a way that doesn't leave people out to dry because Mm -hmm. i'm all for green transitions but if you're not taking into account the realities of the situation we've gotten ourselves into which is a complete dependence on things like natural gas and petroleum and fossil fuels um then you know the messaging on it could be wrong and it could have a negative effect on future transitions to green technology so yeah, you have to get the you have to get the messaging right. Yeah, and you have to. There also has to be the desire there, and that's the one thing that I I always question about this is is the is the desire broad enough in every circle, not just the people that want to have these conversations. Right, because those are the people that are going to be heard. But is the desire you know there for hotel owners or restaurant owners to really support moving away from this or does that make sense because hospitality is such a big industry in hawaii that drives so much of their economy that is there going to be that desire from some of the wealthiest most important people to the state to actually move away and inconvenience themselves on some level just to do this just to do what we are sitting here saying is hey that's probably the right thing to do right 
So that's that's the question for me. Uh, but we'll have to see what uh, what comes of Hawaii Gas moving forward. Okay. Daniel, you sent me this story, and I found this to be really, really interesting. Uh, there was a study that showed that U.S. students show low to medium tech skills. Yeah. Which is surprising, right? Yeah. I mean, when you think of <laughs> when you think of how much time kids spend in front of a screen or how much of an uproar parents and sometimes even legislators put forward for, like, Keep kids away from screens. We need responsible screen time. Your eyes are going to burn out of your head. You're melting your brain. Uh, you know, apparently U.S. students don't really even fully grasp the technology they're using. Uh, and they're not quite as tech literate as maybe we'd like or expect. So let's get into the study a little bit. Uh, U.S. 8th graders can use computers to gather basic information and make simple edits. Mm. And they also have some awareness of security risks in the digital world, but they are less likely to understand the purpose of sponsored content on a website, mm. use generic mapping software, or know how to control color and text when, crea when creating a presentation. So the study went across 12 education systems participating. Uh, the average score on the computer and information literacy portion of the test was 496 on a scale from 100 to 700. Not sure how they got that scale, but that's what they <laughs> did. So average was 496. U.S. Stu students scored 519, so just a tiny bit above average. Okay. Below Denmark, uh, Republic of Korea, and Finland, but ahead of some other countries like Germany, France, and Chile. Um, and what some are saying is that the findings confirm other recent studies in the U.S. showing students can be easily misled by digital media messages, which... Hmm isn't a massive shock to me anyways. But the, the question I think I have from all of this, and I think we've even seen it just in a little bit of our education system in general, and as our education system shifts more towards including more technology, my question is, are we good at creating students who can regurgitate a process and regurgitate an answer, but aren't good at critical thinking skills? Because if you look at the things that they're good at, make simple edits, gather basic information, easily repeatable tasks. But when you ask students to think critically, like understanding, you know, what types of digital media messages are true or false or, you know, understanding other the purpose of sponsored content, for mm. instance, all of these other things. Are we still struggling to teach that critical thinking element in our schools that allow students to kind of move beyond, here's the process by which you get from A to B and get the correct answer on a long division question right. and actually have problem solving be part of the equation? Well, this is a big reason why I like a lot of ed tech solutions on ed tech companies, specifically things like what Newzella is doing, where they present uh, actual journalism. They mm -hmm. present articles, stories. Um, sometimes they're more national geographic in tone. Sometimes they're a little more like, here's a, a news update in tone. Sure. But they adjust the reading levels and incorporate lessons around actual information gathering and information consumption mm -hmm. that really promotes digital literacy. Not just literacy in general, but digital literacy and how to discern quality information, quality journalism, um, quality storytelling, and how to notice those differences. Like, right, right. like why might you know Coca-Cola be sponsored on this post right now? You know, even thinking about that connection mm -hmm. and and how does this impact the content that I'm reading? Uh, I'm I'm definitely with you. I am a fan of integrating technology into the classroom in a way that is 
really beneficial to how we use technology in our life. And how we use technology in our life is for shopping convenience, it's for social communication, um, it's for gaming and leisure and entertainment. Right. And I think leaning into that more, into all of those aspects, and finding how can we encourage uh, you know, positive technological interaction between the tech and our students should be more of the conversation instead of just A, hey, let's have some, you know, fun assessments on the computer, or B, computers are bad, keep them away from our students because they're melting their brains. Right. Um, and I think this is an example of this. I mean, clearly, if they don't even know how to control color and text and a, a Word document, uh, you know, are, are we really teaching them how to utilize the tools at their disposal that are basic level? I mean, basic level is right. Microsoft Word. Um, but even beyond that, like you said, understanding digital messaging, that's kind of scary. Like yeah. they're yeah. going to be on social media. They're already on social media and, uh, they need to learn how these platforms impact them, how they impact people around them and where the monetization plays into how they interact with the world around them. Yeah. It's yeah. a, it's a definitely a nuanced dynamic that I'm all about encouraging. So it's frustrating to see that you know, we don't rank as high as some other countries. Um, but, you know, it doesn't seem to just be a, oh, industrialized versus non-industrialized countries. I mean, the fact that we rank above Germany and France and Chile means that it's more of probably just a country-to-country approach for how we try to integrate technology into our education. Definitely. Uh, you and I have both talked to a number of our uh, education technology clients here at MarketScale, and I think one of the themes that I've seen just in talking to them is often school systems and education systems are really eager to bring technology in without having a plan first of how to utilize it. Yeah. And so even the best ed tech companies and the people that provide the best products and, and the best plans and all of that sort of thing, that is still subject to how the school system is going to decide to use it. And so that's one of the big things is you can't just say, yes, I'd like to order up some technology, please, and make my students very you know technologically literate right. uh, without first having a plan on how exactly you want to implement it and uh, what that looks like uh, for each particular uh, school system. Agreed, so. my friend. Agreed. All right. We're going to step aside. When we get back, we're going to bring back one of our favorite segments from Days Gone By. Ooh. So uh, stick around for that. That's coming up next here on Business Casual. BRB. Today's content is brought to you by MarketScale. Do you run a B2B business? Nobody creates more podcasts, videos, case studies, and blogs for B2B marketers like you than MarketScale. Ask us how we can help you today. All right, welcome back to Business Casual with Tyler Kern and Daniel Litwin. Back in the day, we did a little segment called Bullish or Bearish, where we tell you if we are bullish or bearish on a particular story. And so we have three stories today. We're just going to run down and kind of give you our takes on uh, on some of the stories that are going on. It's just a nice way to cover a number of uh, topics quickly. It's hot. Easily. It's hot. So this is bullish or bearish. Bullish <laughs> or bearish. <laughs> Those sounds are terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> so the first the first story, Daniel. Uh, Facebook's new logo. Yeah. Have you seen this? I have. 
So uh, Facebook released a logo. They went with all caps. It's kind of a generic font, but it also shifts in color. It goes from the blue that you expect from Facebook to more of like the pink for Instagram, mm. pinkish orangish for Instagram, and then green for WhatsApp. Kind of trying to represent Facebook as a parent company of a number of other outlets, not just Facebook and just the, the the one outlet and the one website that you think of in the past. Now, I read an article that I at least hope was somewhat tongue-in-cheek talking about how all caps makes millennials and Gen Zers feel like you're yelling at them. And yeah. that's not, <laughs> I, I hope that's slightly tongue-in-cheek anyways because I'm not that sensitive, but uh, I don't know. How do you feel about the new logo? I mean, I'm, I'm hibernating on it. I'm pretty bearish. Okay. Uh, mostly because... I read the same article. Mm-hmm. You did the insider article, and um, you know, to a degree, yeah. Like, I don't think anyone should be seriously thinking, "I am," you know, "I'm triggered by I, the right, yeah. exactly." But I think, from a messaging perspective, Facebook is embroiled in enough drama right now. Sure. And the fact that their solution is to rebrand their look and go for a look that is pretty standard like nothing really game changing um it creates weirdness for like how am i supposed to now reference to facebook yeah you know i i mean yeah honestly the all caps look is not one of my faves um especially when everything is is literally spaced out to be the same because sometimes you've got the all caps look where the first letter is all caps or excuse me where Everything is all caps, but the first letter is, like, sized to a little look bit yeah, yeah. like it's more caps than the rest. But in this case, it's not. It's just Facebook. Yeah. And I don't know. It just feels like, like, why are you doing this? <laughs> like, I, I, I understand the reasoning, but, you know, no one cares. Focus on the real drama that's going around right now on Facebook. Solve some of those issues. I don't think anyone is really worried about... I don't understand the difference between Facebook and Facebook, the parent company. I wish there was a rebrand. Right. Not the vibe I'm getting. We talked about this back uh, when we were talking about Facebook and kind of some of their troubles and, you know, Mark Zuckerberg being called in front of Congress and all that kind of stuff. The Zuckman. The Zuckman that... Uh, that very, very few people actually know that Facebook owns Instagram and WhatsApp right. as well. And so now I think when you go to settings, you see down at the bottom that it says like, you know, uh, either like owned by Facebook or run by something along those lines with kind of the new logo, the all caps kind of thing. Right. And if there's one thing that like, I don't know, you didn't really need, it's to remind people that like you are everywhere. I suppose. So I'm bearish on this as well, um, personally. So that's Facebook's new logo. Okay. Barista's Coffee Company launches virtual restaurant for delivery. Now, the restaurant's called Munchy Magic. Yum, yum. What a name. I love it. It's it's uh, it's available in select areas in and around Seattle. There are no physical locations whatsoever of Munchy Magic, and it's delivery only, and they're delivering coffee and Ben & Jerry's ice mm. cream. I'm bullish on this. One. <laughs> I mean, is it your stomach talking or yeah, your uh, business brain? It's definitely the stomach. Okay. From fair. a business brain, um, it's harder for me to say because I think logistically it, it brings up a lot of um, just a lot of questions that I'm sure they've thought about and mm-hmm. tried to answer. Uh, you know, who exactly is going to be delivering this? Are we going to employ an entire new fleet of people? Right. Are we going to integrate with a DoorDash or a Postmates to make this happen? Um, and, and, you know, I'm sure they're weighing all those options. Um, but, I mean, people love this kind of convenient 
home delivery thing. I think that's why Postmates and and DoorDash are so Grubhub to Uber Eats, why they're so popular is because they really bridge that gap if you've got, you know, the money and if you've got the uh the resources to make it happen, you can just order your fave food and they'll bring it right to your door and you don't have to go anywhere. And I like that they're embracing this from a branding perspective is like, you know, like it's a, it is specifically just for this purpose. Yeah. yeah. Munchie magic exists only to satisfy your home or office cravings. And we're going to go all out on that branding. Um, it's an interesting business choice. And I, I think I'm still pretty bullish on it. I, I think it'll be positive for just, I don't know, the growth of this style of food delivery and um, restaurantourism, I guess. I don't know. Their CEO, Barry Henthorne, says, uh, by opening the first virtual restaurant location literally in our own backyard, we'll be able to closely monitor and refine our, pro- our policies and procedures and adopt quickly to what we learn. So that's the thing that has me most bullish about this is I think that they can learn from mistakes and kind of evolve as they move forward. Yeah. Okay, last bullish or bearish real, real quick. Krispy Kreme has struck a deal with a college kid who drove who drives 250 miles to resell its donuts. Now, <laughs> there are no Krispy Kremes in Minnesota, but a college student named, excuse me, where is his name? Jason Gonzalez was driving 250 miles to the nearest Krispy Kreme in Iowa and then buying a ton of boxes of Krispy Kreme and then (laughs) reselling them for double their value. Um, He can fit 100 boxes of donuts into his Ford Focus. uh, And so what he's doing is he's taking the money and using it to pay for his education. So initially, Krispy Kreme was going to stop him from doing this. But after he kind of put it on his Facebook page, which has over 5,000 followers, Krispy Kreme kind of changed their tune. And they said, we're going to help him achieve his goals, which includes being debt-free when he graduates in 2021, in part by selling Krispy Kreme donuts. So they're going to donate 500 dozen donuts when he restarts his business. Look, typically these, like, I'm slaving away in the system Mm -hmm. to make it work, you know, and then kind of, like, amplifying that as, oh, this is such an inspirational story. Typically, I'm like, this is disgusting. But in this case, I don't think it's quite that deep. Like, I actually am kind of bullish on this because Krispy Kreme is not, like, a life necessity. Mm -hmm. So the fact that he is kind of, game in the system a little bit to get out there, bring some donuts to his folks, right? make some cash on the side, and now he's actually got Krispy Kreme in on the deal. Um, I mean, I don't know. I, I think it's a... Uh I think it's a bold decision. I'm I'm bullish on it. All right. Yeah. 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 It's funny. Like it's just it's just a fun story. And in this <laughs> in this case, I am bullish on it. We need more fun stories in the world, Daniel. Uh, yeah, we do. Yeah, I'm bullish on it as well. Hey, you know what? Go sell some Krispy Kremes. Yeah. All right. So we have three minutes left in the show before we get into diving into data with TC Riley. We're going to talk a little sports as always. Uh, but our last story today looks at Microsoft in Japan trialed a four-day work week, which led to productivity improvements, Daniel. Yeah, huge. Uh, So they moved to uh, four-day work weeks throughout the month of August, and it caused an increase in productivity and a decrease in cost. Sales per employee rose 40% compared to the same period in the previous year as a result of the company's kind of challenge and and tackling this. They also found that their electricity use declined by 23%, go figure, and paper printing decreased by 59%, as they also pushed... People to hold fewer meetings, use Microsoft Teams a little bit more, communicate inter-office a little bit differently than holding meetings and printing a bunch of paper and that sort of thing. They found that uh, it actually benefited them quite a bit. So my question and my thought has always been, 
is the work week set up in a way that has just been, this is how we always do things, and so that's how things will always be done, and can it be different? I mean, there really hasn't been a concerted fight to change it. True. Uh, you know, the the implementation of the work week the first time around was a huge win for labor rights. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, 40-hour work week. Basically, the idea of, like, eight hours of sleep, eight hours of work, eight hours of leisure. Uh, that's how we should parcel out our lives. Right. Um, but, you know, this is kind of a fun fact. John Maynard Keynes, the economist, predicted back in the 30s that by this point in history, we'd have a 15-hour work week. Because of technological innovations and because of growth in society and That's how hilarious. how we, you know, would treat the worker and how we would treat work in general. Yeah, you know, by this point, we'll be working 15 hours a week. And haha, that clearly has not happened. Um, do I think 15 hours a week is feasible? I mean, it doesn't feel like it would be, right? But chopping out an entire day... Um, I think is more feasible than it seems. And clearly, Microsoft's Japan, uh, excuse me, Microsoft's Japanese division, right. uh, they embraced it and saw huge benefits. Um, I I am really in favor of restructuring the work week and going for four-day weeks, three-day weekends. Because to a degree, I read a stat somewhere, but it's like, uh, I don't know, it's like a, a good chunk of hours that you spend at work Mm-hmm. Your body just naturally becomes less productive. You as a human just get distracted. And there are so many hours wasted that if there was less time and more focused work done in that less amount of time, your like work-life balance would be more natural. So right. I'm, I'm in favor of it. Um, it clearly is doable on like a school level. There are several school districts that have passed uh, four-day school weeks. And... Um, Usually it's for budgetary concerns and stuff, and I don't think that's where you want to start. I think you got to start with the work week first and then respond with a shorter school week. But from an organizational and structural perspective, it's clearly doable. Mm -hmm. It's just about, you know, which companies are going to bite the bullet and make it happen, especially when the results are only positive. I mean, Microsoft's a huge company. Uh, They maybe have more wiggle room to try this out than a smaller business, but four days a week, boosts in productivity, boosts in energy savings and cost reduction uh, and productivity. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's, I don't know, it feels like a no-brainer conversation that we should be having on a larger scale. I agree with you. Well, we'll have to continue to have that conversation because, Daniel, we're out of time for today. R.I.P. R.I.P. as always. Well, we'll be back on Friday, just two days from now, with another episode of Business Casual. Wow. The week flies by, doesn't it? It sure does, especially when you get to do stuff like this on a regular basis. Heck yeah. Folks, thank you for listening. Uh, Tune in next week, Friday, 9 a.m. Central, for more Business Casual. Make sure to check out Ratified on MarketScale Radio on Spotify and iTunes. That's my new show. You can find it on our website as well. Definitely. That's going to be airing Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Good content on the way. I'm excited. Definitely. I am as well. And also more good content on the way next as Diving Into Data with T.C. Riley comes on here in about 30 seconds. So stick around. T.C. Peace.